week's episode of Daily Horror Habit, the podcast for horror obsessives. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you horror movie reviews and discussions every Friday for your twisted pleasure. And as always be warned, these reviews and discussions may include spoilers. And I wanted to extend a content warning that this week's discussion does reference sexual violence and the rape revenge genre. This week, my guest and I will be chatting about what is easily one of the most violent films of not only the year, but of more than likely the last several, uh, that being writer and director Rob Jabaz's The Sadness, which is streaming on Shudder, in which Taiwan falls prey to a viral pandemic that causes those that are infected to morph into bloodthirsty maniacs. Not an ideal event for protagonists Jim and Kat to become separated during, and our two lovebirds must navigate the blood-soaked and depraved streets in search of one another. And joining me to chat extreme infected horror is Michael Pemintel. Since 2015, Michael has been working in the fields of music, film, and video games, providing media analysis, reviews, and interviews. He's currently a staff writer for the heavy metal magazine The Pit, and has also written for Bloody Disgusting, Dread Central, Consequence of Sound, Electronic Gaming Monthly, and Metal Injection. So without further ado, Michael, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Jay. Thank you for having me on, dude. I am to talk to you to be on this show and to talk about this movie it, it's made an impression on me yeah you know i think it's uh it's pretty difficult to watch this and to not have a uh, a visceral reaction almost as visceral probably as the content that's in it but it's one that i think we'll get to the bottom of that there's a little bit more to it than just sort of that uh rather infamous rep that the movie has gotten uh through its time being in like the different film circles and things like that. And now, of course, it being on Shudder and being more widely available. But, uh, you know, before we dive into the sadness, as is tradition at Daily Horror Habit, uh, I'm curious, what was the first horror movie or moment that left a profound effect on you for uh, for better or worse? Uh, I mean, for me, there's there's always when it comes to the horror movies and the horror genre, there's always more good <clears throat> than there is negative. I think I really I mean, that that's going on when I think about movies that have left a negative impact on me folks can't see the quotation marks very very few um but i'm gonna have to give like a very like um guesstimation as far as the age bracket but like from childhood and i mean like child childhood so we're talking like three or four my first love was halloween and i just adore the holiday it's my favorite holiday i like it more than my birthday if i could have a second holiday halloween instead of my birthday wow i would love that and um, a lot of that came from the fact that my mother just loves Halloween too. So she always does up our place or she always did up our childhood, childhood home. I love doing costumes. Long story short, getting there. The thing that got me was the monsters. That's what I really loved. And so like my, that first horror movie that ever made an impact on me was we're talking the original Wolfman. Um, that did it. When I saw the first time you see Lon Chaney Jr.'s Wolfman just peek behind the tree, I was absolutely sold and that did everything for my little brain for want anything monster related um yeah and and you could make an argument that it was really all the universal monster movies because that same night it was a double feature with the creature from the black lagoon uh, but i really credit to the wolf man yeah you know i definitely relate to that because like my grandparents were my big introduction to horror movies and i've talked about it a lot on the podcast just in terms of like 
coming to a lot of movies far earlier than I should have because of my grandparents. But like mm. early on, like them showing me the Abbott and Costello meet the monsters because they were very much into like comedies and things like that. And then, you know, the older I got, the more interested I got. It was like, well, I've never seen anything that looks like these monsters. So then getting to watch the original ones and, you know, falling in love with those. And then, of course, you know, as soon as my grandparents saw like I had the horror bug so to speak, more than my brother, who was younger than me, they were like, oh, well, when he goes to bed, we, we'll show you some of the good stuff. And then, you know, diving into like The Thing and Night of the Living Dead and getting into all those types of movies that, you know, growing up at home, I wasn't allowed to watch or my parents weren't necessarily into them as much as my grandparents. But, you know, it it seems to be that the more people I talk to for the podcast and talking about like our first experience with horror, the first horror movies that really, you know, stuck with us those tend to be the ones that, you know, everybody at least somewhat references and being like, oh, yeah, that was kind of like the stepping stone, which is great because, you know, especially with horror, you think like, well, everybody has a different starting point, like with any genre, but it's just really fantastic that so many people still get to, you know, be introduced by those movies, but then at the same time, like still have a great appreciation for them because, you know, they are uh, these monster movie classics for a reason. And so it's always great to hear that, you know, that was a majority of our seemingly uh, first experience with horror. Yeah. And like, I don't know about you, but like there was something in my little brain that it, seeing the Wolfman tickled something where it was me being like, oh, I'm really excited by these monsters. But um, and I had it more so with Frankenstein than I did. No, I take that back. I take that. I'm full of shit. I did have it with the Wolfman, but I had it with the Wolfman and Frankenstein. And there was something in my little brain where it's like, yeah, I know the monster is doing wrong, but like, why do I also feel a little bad for the guy? And I also like that, that maybe for a weak terminology, but like that kind of morbid curiosity or that morbid questioning was also a huge thing that got me hooked into horror. And I, you know, I, um, it's not, it's kind of horror adjacent, but like a big jump for me into horror was also Spawn. Um, first favorite comic book. Yeah, uh, my mom would not let me buy those, but I got to see <laughs> those. Whenever I would go to the comic book store with her and my dad, I would read the fuck out of those things. Um, and that, yeah, I've always loved the psychological and um, moral intrigue of monsters. Yeah, man, you and I are definitely, it seems cut from the same horror cloth because that was my first so. uh, introduction to like horror in comics was Spawn, right? My Again, like going back to the the debt, the debt I don't know I'll ever be able to repay to my grandparents where my grandfather had like a whole collection of Spawn comics and it was the like the first instance where, and it was probably again because of my exposure to horror, but like the first instance where the monster was explored in real depth and getting mm. to like understand, obviously, like kind of like you had said, the backstory of the monster and seeing that, you know, at the core of this monster is like actually a person. And it was a really interesting portrayal or rather, you know, juxtaposition to what I was seeing in films, right? Which most of the time was like, okay, the monster, it needs to die, that type of angle in storytelling from generally speaking in terms of like monster stuff or even just, you know, kids movies or even just you know young adult movies with either a monster or just the way they treat the antagonist um and that was very pivotal for me also at a young age and just being like oh wait no these can be more and you know nowadays i don't know if i would hold the storytelling and spawn to the same pedigree i did but mm -hmm. i think that it's a really great example though of just dabbling more into more like psychological or humanizing the monster in a way that was like eye-opening to the types of storytelling that uh 
that was possible within the horror genre or, you know, even the horror adjacent side of things, which was very, uh, very eye opening. I'm 100 percent with you on that. Yeah, we could have a whole talk about Spawn <laughs> another time. We could. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll compare notes on some of our favorite issues or the show at some point. But, you know, in getting into the sadness, yes. um, it was a movie that I hadn't been able to see until it was on Shudder. Uh, and, you know, thankfully it has found what I would say is the right home for that movie to, you know, kind of find its audience. And I think yep. that it's very, very at home there in terms of like the types of horror fans that will gravitate towards that type of movie because it is very extreme uh, to the degree that it's the first movie on Shudder that I think I've seen that has had a, a warning for graphic content, which I thought was interesting because I'd never seen that before. Like right during the credits, it says like this is an extremely violent and I think gory film, it says, which was very fitting. Really? So the reason no one in the audience who's listening can see my facial expression, so that's funny. Um, I have not experienced that because I watched it as a screener. Oh, there you go. It does not come with that. (laughs) I haven't watched watched it on Shutter yet. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say it's probably because, you know, if you're receiving a screener, Chances are, like, you more or less know what you're getting into. Whereas with Shudder, I think, especially, like, they have that new feature or, you know, within the last year, it's a new feature where it's like Shudder TV, where it kind of is replicating cable, right? Where it's just movies playing constantly. Maybe that has something to do with it. But if you come across it, it's not something you want to randomly come across. (laughs) For some folks, yeah. Um, For me, my introduction in wanting to see it is, and I apologize, I can't remember what festival it was. Um, but it was just the festival where I was hearing like it debuted it and people were getting like sick and walking out and upset by it. And that that turns on like me inside me like, I am very fucking excited for that. Yeah. <laughs> That's a sentiment that, you know, all horror fans are, you know, people that have been enjoying horror for a very long time. I feel like our ears perk up when we hear that, whereas people that are a little more casual about horror would probably be like, well, that maybe sounds like something I want to avoid. But you know, when people have been watching horror movies as long as you and I have been watching them, it's the type of thing where whenever you hear something like that, it's kind of like, oh, well, let's see how those boundaries can be pushed and and will they be pushed in a meaningful way, which is part of the conversation that I want to delve into maybe a little bit later, just because we're both, we've both seen the extreme side of horror, I'm sure, in various uh, films and corners of the horror genre. And then I find that sometimes horror movies that are very, that pride themselves on being extreme, they fall into two camps, right? They fall into, okay, that excuse or that description is going to be used as a way to excuse maybe elements of the film that are not as strong as they should be, right? Whether that could be like storytelling or the way in which the film is kind of portrayed or shot. And it's like, well, this movie's notable because it's really violent, but maybe there isn't a lot else there. Whereas with a film like this, and I think that it falls into a category where, no, this actually like is extremely violent, but there is also a surprising level of craftsmanship behind it and commentary behind it, which I say is surprising, not because of the genre or, again, it being somewhat infamous, but just the, the fact that this is a guy's directorial debut, which was so impressive to me, which I, was, I didn't learn until after I'd seen the movie. It's weird in seeing how much shocking shit is in this movie and how disturbing it gets. Like one thing that I kept thinking about is just how damn well it's directed. Yeah. Um, I think about 
an individual who used to like shock me and really move me with his direction is Rob Zombie. And I think about a film of his like 31, which I think a lot of maybe whether it's hardcore fans or casual fans, if they see that movie, yeah, on paper, it's a shocking movie. But when you watch the technicality of it and like how the acting is, I promise I'm getting somewhere with this. Um, it's just all over the place. It's very messy. Obviously has to be careful with ratings, has to like that shaky cam is utilized like hell. And in the sadness, uh, it's just like every action is just so well choreographed in not only delivering upon the horrific physical violence that happens, but also a lot of the a greater emotional stuff. Cause this, the sadness, there's, there's a lot of ways I think we could interpret that title. There's a, there's a, there's quite a lot of ways. Um, but adding to something you said, it, graphic graphic violence not just like violence in like excuse the derivative terminology but like regular horror movies but like if we're talking about like something in a torture porn or something very graphic like the violence or um very personal favorites of mine the french extremity films um there is violence that's just fucking mean and it doesn't really feel like it's serving anything then there's works of art that have that graphic violence and it is representing something it is saying something as uncomfortable as it is you have to acknowledge its point and then i think there's the sadness which is in the middle it's in the middle where it's like or more to that former excuse me where it's like it's really fucking mean but it's all saying something and i think for the most part it says it well absolutely yeah and that's the thing that was the most surprising to me, especially on a rewatch, because like I've seen this now twice in prep for this conversation. And as soon as I finished the movie that initially, I was like, well, there's a movie I don't necessarily need to watch it anytime soon again. Sure. But then, you know, over the course of just like wanting to pick up maybe more on some of the social commentary or just be more appreciative of like some of the storytelling decisions that they make and revisiting it, it is a film that actually is probably... I would say it's at the top of its class in terms of like being one of those films that is very prideful and unabashedly so about like how violent it is, but the way in which it carries, like it is a very violent, but the way it carries the violence feels not only methodical, but like very mature, which mm. sounds like mature in the sense of like the way in which the entire thing is constructed. And that kind of comes back to what I was talking about, about, you know, films that are extremely violent that have a tendency to fall into one of two camps, right? It's kind of like, hey, look what I can do and it looks great, but the rest of this is kind of like a shoddy production or maybe it falters in some pretty significant ways. And then there are, you know, you mentioned the French extremity films, stuff like Inside or like Martyrs, which are incredibly mean. And, you know, some those of those films, like some have more to say than others, but they at least are presented in a way that, feels more well thought out in terms of just an overall production and everything. And then you have the sadness. And I mean, this is where I need to bring up uh, and I'll, we'll probably butcher his name. So I apologize for that, but the cinematographer, uh, Jai Lee Bai. Um, and I think that he has such a fundamental role in allowing this film to look the way it does in the sense of like it accompanying just the overall pacing of the film yeah. and the ways in which, you know, obviously the way that he is choreographing the, some of these scenes or the way that he's filming them. But it, more importantly, I think that it's more about just like the fact that every single scene is very matter-of-factly presented 
And that juxtaposition between the way that it's kind of like, yeah, of course this is going to happen. And then what you're seeing unfold on screen is like the most over the top violent thing you've ever seen. I mean, the way that the film carries that throughout, I don't know. It just, it feels like it is of such a higher production value and you can see the planning behind it that it lands in a way that never allows it to become completely ridiculous. If that makes sense, just because it does make sense. It's so extreme, but it there's so much planning and you can see that behind it or the intention behind it. The pacing is incredible. I was very curious when I've heard about like all the high drama press stuff about like the graphicness and the violence. And I'm like, okay, like what kind of ride are we going to get here? Like, is it going to be like such like constantly in my face? Like, what are we getting? And the pacing, I think, is super extraordinary, kind of going back to that, like the title itself, because when it is graphic, it is harrowing to watch. It is super, super fucking brutal to watch. And if we were to talk about scenes, which I'm assuming we'll probably talk about scenes. Absolutely. You you might, if you're someone who's not used to ex- this kind of extremity, it's going to sound disturbing, as it should sound disturbing. Um, but then when you watch, like... You, like to the point of that you said, when you watch these scenes, they are so constructed to a certain point of saying something. And that I want to loop that into my point about the pacing. Cause it's just like, it never beats you over the head. It actually, it's so, I would argue as someone who's watched horror movies on like the B end, the most extreme end, <laughs> there's actually something compared to like a lot of mainstream, the way a lot of mainstream movies think that audiences want to be hammered with violence there's actually something about this that kind of feels restrained. And what I mean by that is like, we will get some horrible, horrible shit for like three minutes. And then it pales back. It it pulls back for a good while. And you got to sit with like this really uncomfortable misery. You got to really sit with a super uncomfortable, upsetting tone because your movie viewer brain kind of kicks in and it's like, all of that happened the next thing has to somehow up that. And you don't want to see what that is. I remember watching this, if I don't know if this is too early to talk about stuff, but I remember the first graphic scene with the fryer. And that shit, first of all, grosses me out. I don't like fucking fryers. I don't like that shit. Um, I've gotten blisters before. And I'm like, okay, so I'm like, oh, that's fine. We're, tw- we're 20 minutes in. Okay, we're starting this. And then it's the fucking sheer scene. And that got an audible yell out of me. I was like, oh my God, like I'm, I'm for the audience, like I'm grasping myself. It's like, because that's another thing too. When we go back to the cinematographer and I, I also apologize if I mispronounced, but G Lee by, um, again, we're not doing a shaky cam. We're not trying to like fool you with anything. We, we really, they know how the hold on that stuff, the direction and pacing of the cinematography and the direction and the acting itself is uh, superb. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We keep, talking about how violent the movie is. And I'm sure we're going to break down scenes in a little bit um, that really stood out to us. But there is, again, like a level of maturity in just from a filmmaking standpoint in terms of knowing, like not only finds the line and, uh, you know, I would say to people that don't enjoy extreme horror, they're not, they have not watched as many horror films maybe as we have that kind of dabble in this extreme violence. Like it's like, oh, they've, not only just like leaped past the line, but you can't even see the line anymore in terms of like what is being shown on screen. And yet, well, I would say that they would not be inaccurate in that regard, but from a filmmaking standpoint, right, shows you 
this incredibly violent moment, but then I would say, or I would argue that like knows where the line is because takes a step back, like you had said, after that moment, right? Again, you don't have to get, you don't ever feel like we're lingering in a scene longer than we need to, or, you know, that three minute scene doesn't ever linger for six minutes or nine minutes, or, you know, it's kind of like, okay, you get this visceral gut punch moment, you stew in it for, you know, 30, 60 seconds, and then we move on to the next thing. And that is the element that I was most surprised about because I was like, oh, well, with super extremely violent movies, sometimes you, when there's no break or there's no pacing or buildup or kind of yeah. like a lot, like basically the director taking their foot off of the audience's neck for a couple of minutes, like you just become sort of desensitized to it and it becomes this just another part of the movie. Whereas with this, like those breaks are so pivotal because it yes. does allow you to kind of just regroup for a second before the next scene that comes up that completely tops the one that just kind of like punched you in the gut. It does. It, it's like, I was going to say, I think there is one scene that's intentionally, it's probably the one exception. There's one scene that is drawn out and it's definitely the, the scene that upset me the most. Um, but I mean, I bet I know which one it is. You can probably guess which one. Um, but yeah, I, I, I absolutely do agree that like 99.99% of the case with that pacing, it's super effective. Um, but I want to ask a question maybe for the sake of this conversation. Uh, so what is your threshold of this kind of extremity? So definitely, and this film definitely pushed my, pushed me to my limit in terms of like, what my tolerance I would say is. And it's actually an element that, you know, is probably the most disturbing part of it. And mm -hmm. I think that it's also, and, you know, talking about genre and subgenres of horror, it's something I wanted to, you know, pick your brain on a little bit in terms of yeah. like, this movie is sold as, and for marketing purposes, I understand, right. Especially that quote that is attributed to it. Um, that has been on a lot of the marketing, which was, this is the most violent zombie movie ever made. Um, and, you know, really, it's not a zombie movie, right? It's an infected no. movie. It's infected or it's a viral uh, horror or pandemic horror, if you will, which, you know, is definitely uh, hits a little differently these days. Um, yes. But the either the threats or the literal depictions of sexual violence is like mm -hmm. that's a that's something that in film I always have a really hard time with. That's why I don't Same. bother watching a lot of. Um, the rape revenge genre movies other than something like revenge, which, you know, was directed by a female director. So clearly yes. like that scene that kind of sends off that entire film is the thing that like doesn't, is not as, you know, it, I would say in terms of my viewing, it's not as difficult to swallow because it is handled in a way that is not so off putting that I bounce off of the movie. Right. There have definitely been people who have shot scenes like that in very grotesque, grotesque, like exploitative manners. Yeah. And like, I understand what you mean by the differentiation. Cause it's still a very upsetting scene. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. But it's not as in your face. Right. It's, I think it's very, uh, you could compare it to like this movie's handling of the same type of thing, right. Of whether it be sexual violence or just again, like, aggressive extreme bouts of violence where that scene and specifically speaking in terms of revenge, like that scene is as long as it needs to be and it doesn't linger on it, which is right. why that, you know, it is incredibly effective, incredibly upsetting, incredibly disturbing, but I don't bounce off of the movie because, and you know, it might sound weird, but it sounds like the 
best representation of what a scene like that would be in my mind in mm. terms of like just it is pivotal to the story you can't make a movie like that without it and it handles it in a way that feels mature while also not being exploitative which i think is really important it's why you know for the most part i don't feel like i need to dabble in that genre anymore because i can't imagine that it would be handled with the same tact I guess that's the way I was looking to say it and that it is tactfully handled rather than it being this like drawn out thing that, you know, it, it makes you sick to your stomach, but it doesn't linger on it for far too long. Um, but in terms of like your question for me with the sadness, it's I think what is more disturbing to me because it's more examples of it throughout the film are the implications or the threats of sexual violence. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're Far or the descript or characters or the infected like describing that those acts of sexual violence ended up being the things that stuck with me and made me like sick to my stomach in some regards in terms of just like the fact that these are not zombies these are not mindless creatures these are people that mm. are infected and it's it's almost as if like well some of them like before they're covered in gallons of blood and whatnot yep. like they look like normal people other than, you know, their eyes being really red. Well, the film even makes a point to say that while they're so, you know, quote unquote, not in control, they are so, so aware. Right. Well, and that's the thing that I wanted to bring up in terms of like the um, distinction between zombies or an infected or viral film is that there is that intention and you see like the glee that the infected have and what they're doing and their enjoyment right? They, it becomes far more menacing and disturbing than a bunch of mindless creatures for me that are just committing acts of violence because you see the enjoyment in what they're doing and what they're saying, which I find almost to be more disturbing than um, some of the other, you know, like there's plenty of really great practical work and gory kills and gruesome kills and all of those things. But, you know, the things that people are saying half the time, I find to be far more disturbing because in reality, like there are people that say things like that. There are people that are out there that are, you know, and, you know, to some extent, like committing those heinous acts and things like that. But like, there's just the way in which they're showing an inner desire in some of the people that are infected or, you know, just the mania of those infected um, was just like so fundamentally disturbing to me. And it stuck with me more than any one particular kill, really. Yeah, I, it's funny you mentioned a point where it's like, I'm so used in my personal experience with like vulgar dialogue or like violent driven dialogue. And mm-hmm. a lot of it in my experience has been so cheeky, but this is probably one of the very few movies where dialogue really got to me. Um, yeah, so I, I definitely got to hand them to that on the writing. Um, as far as my threshold is concerned, I really kind of, I, I have prided myself on like, an end of being like, I can handle so much stuff. And I've always been handle, able to handle so much stuff. Um, you know, and I, when I think about the things that are off limits to me is I have no intention of watching because I'm with you with that. Uh, I don't do well with rape revenge stuff. And um, to this day, I have no desire. Well, I have, well, I love as a whole, the French extremity and I've seen a good chunk of it. I have no desire mm-hmm. to see like irreversible. Right. Yeah. Um, I have an academic interest in watching Sallow. I don't have a personal interest in watching that movie. Um, yeah, but like, I, it's weird. Like, you know, well, I, I can watch stuff. I've watched things like Martyrs and Inside. 
And I've gotten grossed out. And with the former, I've gotten very sad at points. I definitely felt like this pushed. Um, yeah, it, it, it's definitely probably not the most upsetting movie I've ever seen. <laughs> it really upset me. Yeah, it, it was up there. Yeah, and you know, that scene in particular that we were uh, referencing, right, where you have a character that uh, sexually, that, and it is the one scene, I think, where it lingers too a little too long. And But again, like, I think that it's representative of, again, it's, I have a complicated relationship with that because I think that, you know, it lingers too long and it's not the best example of, you know, restraint, the restraint that we've mentioned that I think the film as a whole like surprisingly has considering how extreme and how violent it is that scene goes on a little too long but again like in terms of like a filmmaker that is essentially brand new to filmmaking yeah to again though like having the wherewithal to be like yeah there's no reason for me to actually show the act right and why that's so disturbing is because of again one of the infected taking pleasure in what they're doing and the commenting on what they're doing and you know the uh gratification they're getting from that and them talking about it later on in another scene and being that much worse but at the same time like if it was a lesser filmmaker or filmmaker that you know just realizes that hey if i go the extra length like sure people will talk about the movie more to see this fucking crazy scene that shows something that nobody's ever seen but at the same time being like well no this can be almost more affecting again like telling rather than showing like that I find makes it even more effective of a scene, even if it is, you know, completely grotesque and, you know, sickening to a degree that I had not experienced really in a film previously without having literally seen the, uh, the act of sexual violence. It's this movie just has a talent for just drawing out the fucking um, dread. It really does. You know, you could have changed it to the dread. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, because I think that's honestly the feeling. And, like, again, like, I'm sitting here with this fucking weird um, duality of just, like, it's such a good movie. Like, it's really good. Like, I, I, I'm i not happy with what I'm seeing, but it's super good and it's well made. Um, so, yeah, it just, like, it really, I would say that's probably the one emotion it definitely got the most out of me. Well, yeah, I mean, coming back to like what we talked briefly about in terms of like the pacing, you know, I'm not going to say that Jim and Kat are the two most well-developed characters or lovebird characters I've seen in a film. But, you know, they I find that at the very least what a director or writer should do is make them feel like real people, whether or not we get a great understanding of them or, you know, it's a great performance behind them or whatnot, like. I feel that the film is paced in a way that it pres- the be- very beginning of the movie is almost kind of like a rom-com, right? You have this couple mm-hmm. or like a, or a drama or something with a couple. And it's just about these two people that are just like in bed and what are they doing? They're having somewhat of a passive aggressive argument about their schedules conflicting or, oh, the boyfriend forgot about this trip or vacation that I want to take. Like the kind of domestic drama that feels very believable and it establishes, oh, these are like two believable people. And, you know, again, coming back to the film, having more to say than just the extreme violence and the gore and whatnot, like you get a fair amount of social commentary early on, right? The portrayal of online culture, of the ways in which society and, you know, a modern society reacts to a viral pandemic and whatnot. You know, we get to see Jim on his phone and, you know, there's 
even in Taiwan, there are these YouTubers that are, you know, discrediting science and discrediting medicine in these things. And, Uncanny. you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, again, that this movie hits in a way that, you know, pre-COVID, I don't know, it would have at that same time. Because, like, of course, people would believe scientists. Why wouldn't you? But, you know, I think that it doing that legwork and just presenting something that is very restrained early on makes a lot more of the, you know, extreme elements of the film more palatable almost. Because if it starts like that out of the gate, again, like having the director having their boot on your neck from the moment the film starts, the moment it ends, like that would be pretty tiring pretty quickly, yes. I think. Yeah. And it would, it would definitely lose the points. I do. I, I, I will play devil's advocate in saying that I think the more effective moments of like social commentary kind of get lost as far as COVID related things. Cause I, I mean, I'll, I'll own up to this um, mindset that when I came into this movie, it's like, I understood to a degree that it was like, um, you know, an infected zombie, uh, sorry, infected COVID movie. And I'm like, okay, we'll see how it handles that. And I was very impressed with the beginning. Um, there's also that one line towards the end, the doctor character that I thought was really good, helps kind of contextualize, recontextualize certain things um, about the everything. Um, fuck, what's, what, what is it? Word for word. I don't want to screw this up in the episode. Damn. Um, everything can't be politicized or everything gets politicized. It's something that, along those lines, yeah. Something along those lines, I apologize. But it was very brilliant in terms of when you, you know, view this film in the context of COVID and in the context of just greater nowadays um, ab abrasive indifference is not what I want to say, but just like such strong um, reactionary aggression, I think. And that's not, and that's not appropriately worded but i think what this film nails so well in its commentary is just the absolute brute like brutalness in which people can fucking go at each other and if you were to take granted it's a, it's to an extremely hyper fantasy idea but like if you were to take away the filter of screens this is just, it's it's almost it's almost kind of like an Maybe I'm saying this wrong, but it's like an in inner internalization of animosity. That's the fucking word. Animosity, <laughs> folks. Um, this brutal animosity in how people combat each other, whether it's, you know, you know, one person on this side of the barricade and this person on the side of the barricade, or this person on the fucking social media comment and the next person on the social media comment. That's what I think it hit the best. It's just that, like, extreme unwillingness to try and work together. Um you know, to a, you know, a reasonable degree, you know, obviously there's fucking assholes on the side that you're never going to change. Um, but in general, trying to bring people together and that incredible stance of just like, you know, fuck it, it's pointless. I'm not going to get people to listen. Maybe that was extremely poorly articulated, but um, no, no, no. I think, I think that cultural animosity is what mm -hmm. it gets. Well, I think that the film channels that in a really smart way, right? In that it's obvious when somebody is infected, right? And they kind of go down this path of being this crazed maniac. And yet the longer the film goes on, the more you see instances where there's a little bit of doubt almost whether some people are infected or not. Are they about to turn? What stage are they at? And I think that that wasn't something I appreciated until 
my second watch of the movie. And, you know, early on you get that in- interaction between Jim and the neighbor, Mr. Mm. Lin, who eventually will go on to cut off several of Jim's fingers with the uh, yes. garden shears. Um, but you get him going on this little tirade about like, oh, uh, Jim notices that he's sick and he's like, oh, I'm not going to go to the doctor. Like they just tell you to rest. And he goes on like a little anti-doctor medicine tirade. Right. But then later on, you start to see like when we obviously learn very quickly that violence is the main symptom of becoming infected. But then you do get these scenes where there's violence occurring between people and you're not really quite sure whether they're infected yet or not. What stage are they at? And that comes through like in that hospital scene, right? When Kat is in the hospital and they after the probably, I would say the most overt, like darkly comedic version or scene of the movie, right? Where, you know, the president uh, on the mainland China, I think like, his general becomes infected on live TV and shoves a grenade in his mouth and blows the president's head yep. off or whatever. And people start like commenting on like, Oh, the government doesn't know anything or they're idiots or this is lies. But then there's this massive brawl between the survivors before the other infected break in. And you're not sure at that instance, like, Oh, is this violence a symptom of like the sick, the very real world sickness in our society of people that, you know, should be working together, but instead are going to pick their sides or they're going to be these kind of like unmovable objects, whether that be politically or just in terms of their own opinions and things like that. And it creates this very uncomfortable, but I think important sort of portrayal of society in that it's like, we're at a point right now where I would say, at least, you know, it seems that most people are very divided on a majority of things. And very untrustworthy and you don't really know where people stand. And it seems that the loudest voices are always the ones from people that are not willing to like be sympathetic to others Mm -hmm. or to understand the other people's points of views in these things. And it really does make the infection something that is really like quite frightening aside from, you know, again, the extreme acts of violence and those things that we've mentioned, um, the most upsetting part I think is that truly you don't know whether the violence being committed was a part of those people before they were infected or not. And I don't necessarily think the film ever a hundred percent clarifies that because we get no. examples of both, right? We get these people that just, you know, the first infected that we see is this by all accounts, this well-meaning old lady, right. Who gets infected and then melts a yeah. the guy's face and rips it off. Yeah. But, at the same time, then you have the businessman, right? And he's never given a name, but, um, and I apologize if I'm butchering his name, but uh, uh, Tzu Cheng Wang. And he is the main antagonist of the film, right? He is this man that we're introduced to because he sits next to Cat on the subway. And he is, you know, for lack of a better phrase, he is incredibly creepy uh, in that he's They're talking to her and being. Yes, he's being very much like what a sex pest would be, which is somebody that is like, oh, I'm like falling over themselves, telling this woman that they don't know and they've never spoken to how they're in love with her and they've been watching her. And, you know, as soon as she's like, I want to read my book and he keeps pestering her and wanting Mm -hmm. to talk to her, ignoring her request to like be left alone and these things like at that point, that is a character that's introduced and then goes on like he starts becoming more unhinged and like muttering under his breath, but he's saying it loud enough so she can hear. And it's, you know, it's not to like, Oh, I hope she doesn't hear. He's like commenting on her and going on a rant about how, 
he like a misogynistic rant, which, you know, is the yeah. beginning of a feature film's length misogynistic rant from that yes. character. Um, but that's an example, though, of like a character that it's not a leap to think that, well, no, they actually like had the capacity for violence, for being misogynistic, carrying out acts of violence against women or targeting them before being infected. Yeah, no, uh, this, like, it, like you said earlier, um, it doesn't explicitly say anything that like, you know, it's within certain people. It just, it, it's, um, and I forget the science of it because I didn't unfortunately write this down, but it just takes down the, the, the virus takes down the filter. And so like, yeah, I think we're just led to believe maybe at the film's quote unquote most hokiest that it's just these people who are just allowed to be unhinged. Like they have no control. Whereas like we will get a character right before they turn and we get to see that little bit of connecting the dots of them going berserk. The animosity stuff is, I think it works. I think it works more. I guess I wanted to speak more to my devil's advocate kind of stuff. Um, the animosity stuff works more to me as a great metaphor, but necessarily not super some, something super strong in the narrative itself, if that makes sense. Um, to me, as I was watching the film, it really, like, I was immersed in the journey of, like, you know, the characters and what was going on. But <clears throat> I felt like whenever, I felt like the violence kind of actually overshadowed stuff being said. And maybe that's a very poor wording from me, uh, poor reading from me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I would, I agree with that, actually. I think that, you know, it's. I think that the film does a good job at capturing a powder keg viewpoint of society, right? Of viewing it as, you know, we're all just, it, and, you know, I think that it speaks to a lot of anxieties that people have had over the course of the last, no matter where, like worldwide anxieties in terms of like viewpoints on society, whether it be political or social or economical, like there is this kind of anxiety about like what's going to happen next. Um, and I think that the film does a good job of capturing that in what it shows. And, you know, again, like these extreme bouts of violence and the sort of uh, absurdist nature of the portrayal of violence. But again, it's being filmed in a way where it's like it it films these absurdist acts in a way that it is almost like it should be played straight. But it's mm. not because, again, like a guy gets stabbed and there's an evil dead level geyser of blood that yeah. shoots into the ceiling. Right. Um, but I would agree, though, with you that, like, narratively speaking, like. The narrative doesn't really, and I mean this in terms of like characters literally saying something that the film hasn't shown better, I think, in terms of, again, that metaphor and that delving into that through the acts of violence and what it's depicting. I think like, I, I think, and like, I mean, this is, it's obviously we're having a subjective conversation about reading here. You know, someone might see this movie and have like a much more intense reading than us. Um, but for me, I saw it as like, I see what is kind of being said on a surface level to the point that like when something like when we get that heavier conversation at the end with the doctor character, it almost like I liked what was being said and I thought it was very insightful and it helped recontextualize things for the film that I had missed. But my kind of first knee jerk reaction was just like, this feels a little late. Like why yeah. is this coming now? Absolutely. Yeah. I think again, like 
I would say I wouldn't describe our the protagonists of the film as being weak characters, but they're not really ever developed all that much past, again, what we are shown of them in the opening moments of the film, which, again, obviously provides the structure and the hero's journey, if you will, yeah. for that character. That gives the, yeah, it gives the film the framework that it needs. We did need that doctor character to either be introduced earlier or to have another character somewhat like that. Whereas, again, like we've talked about the pacing being strong in regards to the violence mm. or in terms of just like the ways in which they're presenting either information or about the vi- uh, about the virus and whatnot or these, you know, acts of violence and pockets of violence. But narratively, it's like it's pretty thin, I think, for a majority of the yeah. film. Granted, I didn't notice that on a first watch just because, again, like you're so overwhelmed by the violence that's happening you'd never get really much more than a couple minutes breather from that so you're not really thinking about that but i think you know if on a rewatch it was definitely like okay i could use one or two more dialogue heavy moments or you know words of wisdom if you will from uh some type of authority figure and it's, it's like, you know, I'm the last person to be like a movie shouldn't have to hold your hand. You know, it's your own subjective experience. You get what you want out of it. On the flip side, for a positive, this is a movie that I was really impressed how it handled its whole virus angle. Uh, oh, my God. And maybe it's just because of more American shit. Um, but a lot of ma- American mainstream movies will have to walk your hand through the thing. And you'll have to ex- they'll explain the thing and how the thing came to happen and why the thing has happened now. And I just, I liked being in the dark and ironically, maybe coming full circle. When I finished this movie, it was one of those things that I, I mean, again, subjective experience. I like to just try my very best to just watch a movie and not, <laughs> don't take this the wrong way, not think too hard while I watch it. Just try to watch a movie because I used to like have a problem where I would watch a lot of Lynch movies back in the day when I first became a fan and I knew Lynch for what he was. And it's like, okay, now you take notes on what's happening. And that's the fucking wrong way to watch a David Lynch movie. Never do that, people. <laughs> um, I'm a lot better now, te- a decade later. Um, so I just try to watch this. You know, I'm sorry. I watched the movie. And afterwards, a lot more things sat with me where it's like, okay, I can understand where I wasn't connecting dots or I had expectations going in because of the marketing. Right. Um, and then afterwards, I'm like, okay, I can connect these dots. I can see how like maybe this abstractly pulls from this and this abstractly connects with that. And so like, yeah, I do, I do stand by that. There are some, there's some narrative stuff that's too surface level and the commentary I think has its moments where it's like, it's either never bad, never, poor, you know, sorry, let me take that never poorly done. It's never poorly done, but maybe a little too surface level where it's like, oh, you're hinting at a neat idea, but you're not really giving me much to chew on. And then it's more in your face and not in your face to an obnoxious level. I think that that is probably one of the biggest compliments I could give this movie is that even though we've been talking about like elements that didn't fully explore them in the correct amount of detail that they maybe should have or in this regard – it's the type of thing, though, that like what we're given is never, again, like I would never say it's labeled as being bad. I would say, if anything, it's indicative of something that you want more out of it, but it's achieved something and the audience being like, okay, I didn't get as much as I wanted from that, which 
you know, it's disappointing somewhat, but at the same time, like there's enough intrigue there that it was noticeable and that you actually want more of it. Instead, we're not seeing this and then being like, well, that was fucking stupid. Why didn't they just cut that or like this or that? Like, I think it's always better to want more from something than to want none of it. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, not that my opinion fucking matters, but like, (laughs) I don't think there's anything wrong with this movie. Um, yeah, like my little nitpicks are just like personal little nitpicks, but I would never place them above the actual quality of the film. Right. Yeah. And I think that again, like, again, speaking about like this feeling like a film that comes from somebody that is, you know, far more mature than their filmography would indicate just based on this being, again, being a directorial debut, like there's such an intermingling of styles and tones that it all bleeds together in a way that feels perfect for this type of movie right again Mm. like it being you know extreme in more than one ways at the same time having that sort of like kitchen sink domestic angle that it begins with or being the hero's journey type arc but then at the same time again like having very dark humor and leaning into it into the best way possible right i mean it leans into extreme violence in a way that you can have you know, layers to extreme violence, I think, is a pretty rare thing, right? Because that yes. entire sequence that I mentioned earlier about the president and, you know, him getting a grenade shoved in his mouth, his head explodes, like... It's very is, goofy. It's so goofy and so goofy that it took me aback at first. But then I think that that's a compliment to not only combining violence with dark humor, but also, like, the fact that that scene that is very goofy can be followed up with one of the most horrific moments in the entire film. Like, there's an understanding of the the implementation of violence there that I found to be very surprising in a way that I would think is far more masterfully handled than, again, somebody that has made one movie would be able to, uh, you know, wrap their mind around or just, again, like, understanding when a goofy humor moment would be appropriate to insert into the movie. You know, you're not beating over the head with it. That's oh. kind of like my personal little nitpick is like with horror comedies, half the time I'm like, well, you, you know, there's of course outliers, but most of the time I watch a horror comedy, I'm like, well, that person should have made a comedy or they should have made a horror movie just mm. because it's so tonally flip-flopping. It's never kind of like riding that line or walking that tightrope where this movie, again, like talking about the line, this movie understands what it wants to be. And it's just such a masterful execution on both facets of that in a way that is dynamic. It's not just like, Oh, this is a comedy moment early on. And then a hundred percent horror later on, it kind of just like it veers very nicely between them. It, it definitely wants to jerk you around. Like, yeah, (laughs) it definitely wants to fuck with your head too. And like, you know, it's like again for such a movie that is so viscerally physical i really found that it had such a intense psychological element to it too um and maybe this is me reading into the film too much but like what even if we take out a COVID element i feel like it's also just yeah maybe i'm being obnoxious here in academic um but maybe there's like this comment or meta look at violence too um, just like how intense it gets to like the varying degrees of intenseness. Cause like I went, I go back to my deep fryer comment and it's like someone getting a deep fryer, like um, liquid poured on them is horrific to a lot of people. But I think maybe for us who are used to like saws and hostel 
it's something that we can stomach a little bit more. And then we up the ante with like the shears and the fingers. Um, and then we get the goofy shit, like the president's head. But then I think about how that's interjected among all those moments is you get the train scene, which really fucked with me. And yeah. then you get the eye scene, which really messed with me. And then even just the brief baby scene, which granted, I think that shit was kind of changed. Maybe I'm fucked in the head for that. <laughs> uh, I just Based like, on what you saw for the first 90 minutes before that, it is fairly tame in comparison. It is but... fairly tame. I Well, it's like, okay, so like the one baby scene that still freaks me out to this day is the one in the Dawn of the Dead remake. Mm, that one mm-hmm. I thought was more graphic. Yeah. Um, yeah. The point being, sorry. <laughs> But like, yeah, the, the, the violence is nuanced and maybe again, the, our director writer friend is just trying to create a great fucked up movie. Maybe he's just trying to make a good fucked up movie with solid commentary and cares about the technicality to the degree of telling a good story. But like, I'd be very, I would love to have a conversation about like, was there an intention to like jerk audiences around with like, how the violence rides up and down to varying degrees of intensity. Um, because again, like what we, what we tend to do is, you know, I, and I apologize if I've said this a bunch of times, but it's like you get violence that's either super hammered into you and it's just over the top and you get desensitized or you get so grossed out, you turn it off. Or you find violence in a horror movie that ironically just gets to the viewers, comes off too safe. Um, there, there's at a certain point in Saw movies where it's like you already know what you're going to get and at least personally to me, you stop giving a shit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, in terms of bringing it a little bit back to like what I was saying about the distinction between a zombie movie and being a viral infected movie, if you will, or pandemic horror, you know, I think that the antagonists of the movie are, they're not creatures, but like people Being the ones that are getting gratification from these acts of violence, it makes it all so much more menacing. Again, like with zombies, when they become a monster or a creature, like what do they want to do? They want to feed. There's a purpose, like a sustenance purpose behind what they're doing. doesn't excuse it, but you understand it. Whereas this film, and it kind of leans into the meanness of the movie, right? The fact that so many acts of violence we see, they're not meant to kill right out the bat it's meant to maim it's made to extract as much pain in the victim as possible without killing them which you get that scene early on like there's these three infected that have a guy and it's like what are they doing they're breaking his arm on a staircase they're not breaking his neck or they're not you know ripping his head off or whatever well don't they make a point don't they make a point to say sorry to cut you off um but call me out if i'm wrong but don't they make a point in the dialogue to say that the longer that they can draw out the suffering, the more pleasure they get. They have that. I think that's a line that's, I think the doctor says that. Yes. The doctor does say that at the end of the film, he says that that's why. And he kind of like dabbles in the idea of why they cry. Right. He's kind of, again, even the most educated person in this film is like, well, we don't really understand it, but this is a potential reason. And, you know, I actually read an interview where, uh, he, the director had actually said like, oh, I forgot about the tear element of the movie into filming it. He was like, originally it was supposed to be that they were crying because of what they were doing, but they were powerless to stop themselves. But then like the film doesn't really dabble in that or it doesn't explain that ever really or anything like that. But I was thinking more about 
them wanting to derive as much satisfaction from the acts of violence they're committing when Jim comes to the basketball court and there's like a group of young guys that are basically beating another guy unconscious with a baseball bat. And one guy hits him on top of the head with the bat and knocks him out. And another one of the infected chastises him and says, it's only going to be fun if he's still awake, which again, like that line of dialogue I found made that scene much more disturbing than just the act of violence, which, (laughs) which again, like coming back to like, when we have these conversations, I love having people on like you that like horror as much as I do, because you understand what I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, I mean, this dude has his like, you know, his generals being rammed into a pole folks. Like a a pole wrapped in barbed wire, wrapped in barbed wire. It's the edgiest shit. It's close to the edge of shit you can think of. And granted, that line almost hits harder. No pun intended. <laughs> well done. But yeah, I mean, that is the thing, though, that makes mm. it so much more disturbing. Because, you know, you mentioned oh, Saw or like torture porn type movies where it's like yeah. you become desensitized after a while. But the idea that the dialogue sticks with me more almost than the actual act of violence, it's like, well disturbing acts of violence are not necessarily something that are new to horror films or even extreme horror films. But I think that when you add that gratification element to it from, it just, it makes my skin crawl in a way that just, you know, as good as the practical effects are in this movie. And they are really top notch. I don't think there was any digital, uh, maybe when the old woman gets hit by the car, but other than that, like the film looks fantastic from both, you know, the way that it's shot to the practical gore effects and all these things, but there's such a gross, almost like snuff film quality to it to see people reveling in the fact that they're committing these acts of violence and purposefully playing with their, you know, not not food, so to speak, but their victims. Well, it reminds me of one of the very few, um, because I was trying to think, you know, after, as I was watching this movie and after I watched it, I'm like, I'm trying to like do my personal ranking of things I've been grossed out by. And like one of the very few horror movies that has really upset me is the, uh, I apologize for mispronunciation, uh, but the Pugatsi tapes. Oh yeah. yeah. That, and that has the same, to your point you were saying earlier, it has the same human angle. I think the problem with stuff like Saw as it goes, as, as the franchise continued and Hostel, and maybe in terms of, different horror and obviously we're different you and i've watched a shit ton of horror movies and then it might be different someone who's never watched a horror movie but there is such a difference in like you know if you get a zombie let's go back to your zombie example it's just like you're grossed out but you understand there's a logic to that and that it's the monsters trying to feed you know jigsaw becomes this mythological character who doesn't even feel human and then when they start shoving you in there, <laughs> and there's nothing human um but we're shown way too much human in this movie for comfort. Yeah. And that's I and that's to my point, that to your point, sorry, that I find I agree with you with how disturbing it is. Um, the the recognition and the enjoyment and like frankly, the sexual gratification they get even on non-sexual acts. Yeah, and I and that to me, and I and it kind of comes back to I hope I can articulate this correctly. Um, but just like the level of cruelty and animosity from, you know, certain groups of people in the world that are just very belligerent and cruel and mean and like don't care about the greater masses when it comes to a pandemic or don't care about the greater masses when it comes to human rights. 
and just that fucking cruel indifference of getting off on being mean and hateful. Um, yeah. Um, I've experienced that, like I said, the Pugetsi tapes has a serial killer like that. Um, even though I think most of these movies wax and wane, I thought the third purge did a pretty good job of that. Um, that human element is what I will always find the scariest. Yeah. Cause it's probably the element that is the most plausible in our own reality. Right. I mean, yeah. that's the element. And I think that that's why this movie's so disturbing to me again in that, and I keep coming back to like the businessman. Cause I think that in a film that, you know, has very mm. protagonists that are serviceable, the businessman being that antagonist, I find to be so disturbing just because of you're shown glimpses of that humanity before he's infected. And you already see that he has the, at least I view him as having the capacity, not only for being, you know, verbally misogynistic, but his unhinged behavior before he's infected. It, I don't think it's a leap to say that he himself, as unhinged as he is and as misogynistic, could actually like follow through on some of those impulses or take, you know, his perceived uh, being wronged by society and him actually going out there and, you know, doing something about it. Um, and I think though that his character is the one that never allows you to forget that because of course, mm. you know, other than his, you know, increasingly misogynistic and uh, describing his own sexual gratification from those acts of violence that he commits throughout the movie, like, you get these little brief moments where he's not sh telling you that he is enjoying it. He's showing you. Right. And that I think yeah. is apparent, uh, especially early on when he's chasing cat um, and the girl from the subway that she saves. Yeah. And, you know, he maims the good Samaritan that tries to save both of them from him. And then just before he hacks the guy into a thousand pieces with the fire ax, he stops and he looks at the girls and he winks at them and then he goes and hacks his guy. And yeah. it just shows again, like there is an enjoyment in this, whether he's, you know, quite literally telling Kat what he's going to do or what he wants to do to her or it, like literally like showing it with, um, you know, whether it be acts of violence or, you know, winking before doing this uh, unspeakable thing. Uh, it is depraved. It is. Yeah. Depraved. <laughs> I was going to say this movie certainly lived up to the, uh, the the sort of notoriety surrounding it because it was again and it's one of those things where you watch enough movies you're sort of like yeah I'm sure there's one or two scenes at least that's where I'm kind of at with like my horror viewing it's like you hear about a movie's reputation before you see it and you're like mm -hmm. well I'm sure there's one or two moments that like ratchet things up. Yeah, But then the rest of the movie, you're like, this is kind of what I was expecting. And it was such a treat to give, <laughs> which is a funny way to describe watching The Sadness. It was very uh, rewarding to watch a movie that really earns that reputation. Yes. But again, there's more to it than that. It's not it just is. this gore fest that, you know, I would, I'm one of those people that's like, there is merit in that. I think from a creative standpoint, you know, you have that uh, tendency to have like a lot of your budget clearly went into the practical effects and a filmmaker is willing to, you know, push boundaries of what is acceptable in film. Um, at the same time though, I'm more appreciative of films like the sadness that, you know, the storytelling elements might not be the best, but they are structurally sound and as sound as they, you know, should be for a film like this while also, you know, making some commentary again, whether it is to a degree that people thought was successful or not is up for debate, but I'm just appreciative that there's more meat to there's this a, it's than a film just of like... It's absolutely a film of substance. Like, you know, I would only tell someone to be hesitant to watch this regarding the content matter. 
But like, they're just like, oh, if, if it's someone who's just like, I can watch anything, but like, am I really just gonna watch like an hour, 20 hour, 10 of like people getting fucking mauled and that's it? I'd be like, no, you're actually, you are gonna get something a little more out of this. And again, not to be the dead horse, but like, you're, you're gonna actually get something on probably a more emotional and psychological level. Um, I mean, I've had this, I've had this point in other conversations when it comes to body horror, but like the ironic thing about horror, body horror, right, is that it's kind of very psychological. And that's something I think about this movie is just like how much it did get me to think, even if again, like I felt my, found myself lost at certain times and it took till after the viewing, it really had me thinking and it definitely had me feeling if it was like cringing or grasping myself. You know, in terms of the ending, um, I don't think it is again coming back to like this film having more substance to it and having something to say like what is the big reveal it's that cat is immune uh, which you know after a while you're like well she's been covered in blood this entire movie like how has she not become infected herself but you learn that she has that immunity and mm -hmm. it's kind of again talking about like the dark humor or the bleak overall bleakness of the movie the fact that what could potentially be the savior of mankind it being this woman that's immune, what is the first thing that the military does is they gun her down, right? When she runs up the stairs, right? And you have that brief meeting between her and Jim, and Jim is, of course, infected at that point. But, you know, I thought that it was probably the perfect ending for this movie. Again, talking about a movie that prides itself on being as dark and disturbing and bleak as it is. Like, it is the perfect ending for that. Like, this is not a movie that you sit through for the better part of 90 minutes. And then you're like, well, this has to have a happy ending or a happy ending would fit here because everything leading up to that moment is just like an increasingly hostile world going to shit. No, I, I absolutely, I do thought, I thought the ending was incredibly appropriate. I, you know, for a movie called the sadness that the ending conversation absolutely gutted me. And it actually also took me a moment and I, I had to revisit it because I was just like, there's an element of me being like, is Jim the first like infected that is getting some like human out and like human in the sense of like, he's fighting against the infected portion, which is not the case. I mean, he is infected. Um, but I, when we talk about that human element that has been so eerie throughout the movie about their sense of awareness, I, I thought next to the businessman, I thought, Jim's ending monologue with you know Cat was just the most gut wrenching of the things because it, it it teeters this very bizarre line of violence, cruel, and love, and I cannot think of an example of that. I can I've been trying to think of another example of that happening in a movie, and I can't. Well, coming back to like the intention behind the infected and what they're saying, and you know the dialogue of a lot of their mania or madness, again, is like the most disturb one of the most disturbing elements of the film because what they're saying doesn't make sense, but it makes sense within the context of portraying that level of rage or that level of uh, their like maniacal nature and whatnot. Like you have the guy on the train um, after he goes on this, you know, basically like a stabathon where he just starts stabbing all these people and they finally restrain him. He's like, did I beat the high score? Or he goes on yeah. this like it's it's complete nonsense. Like nothing yeah. makes sense behind it. But it the portrayal of that whole scene I find to be disturbing, especially with you know these continually and you know seemingly never ending random acts of violence out in different mm. societies, whether it be our own country or 
across the world where somebody that goes on this killing spree and then is just babbling incoherently. Like there's such a disturbing. Yeah. And then you also have that girl that is from the train that Kat saves when she finds the security guard that has basically like been an asshole to both of them the entire time. And she has the, the bone saw and she's about to like cut into the guy within she's, what does she say? She says, uh, I'm kissing you to death or I'm killing you with my kiss or something that is like, so it's such, it's some such nonsense, but it is a articulation of the extreme emotion that that character is feeling in that mania and that madness, which, you know, is so incredibly disturbing to me. And like you had said, Jim's monologue at the end, it is the most, you know, the one that is based in actually like a real world affection. It's not just an affection for killing, but seeing a real world affection paired with, again, this new found uh, love of killing and of maiming, it just makes it that much more fucked up. <laughs> it's it's the most, I mean, I mean, this is a whole scientific philosophical conversation, but like it, it's the most revealing of that, like, you know, um, I'm so sorry, philosophical scientific point of like, what do humans want the most, you know, to, to fucking eat. Um, and <laughs> it's, it's that turned up to such a gruesome horrifying level yeah it's one of those movies that i'm just like i'm interested also you know on closing out i'm curious like how do you feel about movies like this that whether it's the director or writer's intention or not this is a movie that i think just based on the content of it it stands whether it's the primary reason for making it or not like it stands to be a film that pushes the boundaries of extreme violence in films and whether or not you know people are going to find merit in that i'm curious like how do you feel about films that you know pride themselves and be an example of extreme violence do you find that there's merit in that that it pushes this sort of like extreme corner horror in a meaningful way there's violence with meaning and i think there are very very few instances where it's like and this is gonna be poorly articulated you you can have nonsensical violence in a work of art and maybe there's quote unquote no meaning, but in there being no meaning, there's meaning. And maybe that's an obnoxious reading as far. Like I, in short, like I am fine with movies like this, as long as they present something to say. And I genuinely do think they have something to say, you know, um, I come back to them because they're the most extreme example I have. Um, But the new French extremity are all films that have something to say. And the graphicness is so important in saying something. Now, there are exceptions that are of those movies just crude and they don't really, mm-hmm. they don't cater to much. I, I think like High Tension is definitely a much more problematic movie as we look back on it. Um, but you take something like, um, what's the Nazi one? Frontiers. Thank you that film has a lot of fucking things to say and important things to point out in terms of how fucking horrible fascism is. And it uses its violence to a very important point to point out the fucking horrors that are very real in this world. Um, so I, I, as much as they, I may not like try to watch every single one of these movies. I absolutely am someone who's just like, I think their existence is important. I think they can cater something, cater to something. I think they can 
if created the right way, I know I'm ranting, I apologize. If created the right way, I think they have the means to open a conversation. And that's what art should always do. Art should, whether it's, an, whether it's it, it should be conversation that's either introspective and deep or a conversation like you and I are having. Like I should be able to watch that and granted just entertainment just for the sake of entertainment. But when we're talking about this subject matter, I, I don't want to come from something and be like, yeah, bro, it was fucked up and I got a rush. I, I don't, <laughs> right. I don't, I don't think that shit anymore. You know, yeah. um, I want to be like, okay, that bothered me. What was it going? Like, what was it trying to say? And did, what was it trying to say? Did it really have anything to say? And if it did have something to say, did it do it well? And that's what I care about. And that's what I look for. You know, won't name names, but there are definitely directors that just want to upset you. And I think that shit's pointless. I don't think we need that. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It seems to be for me like the art itself, it justifies its content by how it's how you're left feeling at the end of it, right? It's pretty apparent, I think, you know, with this, I've seen it now twice and it was still, I I had to skip over that uh, that scene that we mentioned uh, or yeah. briefly alluded to the second yeah. time I watched it because I was just like, no, I got the point the first time. I don't need to see that again. Or, you know, I, thinking about it is almost as bad as seeing it for me. So I was like, I don't need to rewatch that. But at the end of the day, like the way that the film left me, I didn't feel like, well, that was just done to get a reaction out of me. And I think for me, it, these types of films are important because this can serve as not only having something to say, but there is great care in how the violence is choreographed how it is filmed the entirety of the storytelling in general like no element i think that's the biggest compliment i could give this movie is that no element of this movie feels like an afterthought it no. doesn't feel like no. everything else is kind of just like icing on a big violent cake uh, yeah. if you will <laughs> yeah um which i think that it's always very apparent when you watch a movie and it's like this is just a big thing of violence and there's nothing else to compliment on this and it's like with this movie, especially like I showed it to, uh, and I would never do this to people that I'm not best friends with, but like my roommates are some are my best friends my entire life. And I showed this to them under the guise of like, oh, this is a really fucked up zombie movie, but didn't tell them anything else about it. And it was like, even they were able to like, aside from being like, oh, this is, is the most fucked up thing I've ever seen. At the same time, though, the takeaway was like, that's the most well made piece of violence I've ever seen on film, uh, which I would think is like, that is, con there is something constructive in that. Whereas it wasn't just like, oh, that was fucking gory. And that's the end of it. If I were a professor, like if I were a film professor, I would teach this movie. And, uh, you know, especially within the last 10 years, just thinking of, you know, some other super violent films and films that are, you know, mean spirited and delve into, you know, sexual violence and those things that, some directors have said, oh, no, this is making a point, but that point doesn't come across unless that you read an interview with the director. Yeah, and that that's kind of part of the issue. Which I think is always very telling, and you can feel that whether or not you like know anything about that or whatever. Um, but anyways, you know, this was a film that I was really happy that you, uh, you know, I threw this out on Twitter, like, oh, if anybody wants to chat about this movie. And I was so happy that you were up for talking about it because it's one that... Uh, you know, could be difficult to talk about, but I think that uh, we had a great conversation in terms of getting to why something as violent as this actually does have quite a bit of merit to it, both, you know, for the genre, but also, you know, filmmaking in general.
I absolutely agree. Yeah. Um, it's definitely one of my favorites of the year. I don't have beyond the viewings I've done like for this, my own and for this conversation, I have no interest in rewatching it anytime soon. Yeah. Um, but as a film, I am incredibly impressed with it. I will make sure to definitely watch it again before the end of the year when I do my final list. Um, but yeah, is absolutely. I've, I've been looking for someone to have a much heavier conversation with about this because uh, it's it's funny. My internet friend group is super. I, my friend friend physical friend group into horror, not this level. <laughs> I could not show this movie to except one person. I could show this movie to. Um, but it's really my internet friend group is depraved as me. So thank you so much. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> hey, but before uh, before I let you go, why don't you uh, why don't you drop your Twitter handle so people can follow all of your uh, fantastic writing? Absolutely. So yeah, um, my Twitter handle is, is at p e m e n t e l m. That's Pimentel M. And I write uh, full-time as a staff writer at The Pit. We are a heavy metal website where we do features, uh, interviews, news, and all that jazz. But on the side of that, I and I have taken a little bit of time off just to get associated with that role. Um, but I also do write about video games and horror movies. So you can find me at Bloody Disgusting as of just for now. Um, there will be more coming, but I can't talk about that right now. But Bloody Disgusting for sure. Um, where I have done such things as Unveiling the Mind, which was the site's psychological horror and mental health column. I was also running Anime Horrors, which was the site's anime and manga column. And yeah, so you can find me at The Pit. You can find me at Play Disgusting at, at Pimentel M. Fantastic. Thank you again, Michael. This was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Jay.